Well, today, we get to shift gears and focus on our sermons for the fall. I have to say, I'm excited about these sermons. It's nice to move on from King David after two months on him, and also exciting for me to move on from the lectionary. Sorry, MJ. Between now and Epiphany, these will be the texts and subjects that I get to choose. If you don't like them, you know where to bring your comments. (laughs) This is great for me. I'm excited. I feel like the Pointer Sisters. (laughs) All right. I take from my text this morning... The eighth verse of the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Please pray with me. Most gracious and holy God, in this new season of the year, when we shift our focus and the rhythms of our lives, may we we also focus now on these words, that we may hear a word from you. Amen. Today we live in a moment. These are interesting days, wouldn't you say? I mean, this past week was not exactly a great one for our president. It's almost as though it's 1973 all over again. Now, as your preacher, I'm going to ask some of you to tone down that schadenfreude. It's not good to rejoice at another person's sufferings here. Uh, But we are, uh, no doubt, in a time of uh, uncertainty. We're also in the midst of one of the largest economic booms in American history. Some people uh, have gotten very wealthy in the last five, eight years. Others, not not so much. But the nagging question that a lot of people have to ask is, how long will this boom last? When will the other shoe drop, so to speak, and what will that look like? These days, smartphones dominate our lives. I'm sure some of you might be tempted to look at them now. That would not have happened a few years ago. The new generation, the generation that's had their backpacks blessed today, uh, has been raised on smartphones and other forms of technology and all other types of overstimulation. What effect is that going to have? We have record hot temperatures and uncertainty about what that means for the future of the planet. At least I can say my place in Montrose might be beachfront property someday. (laughs) We have all these new words and phrases these days, like snowflake and antifa and fake news. Our vocabularies seem to be expanding by the minute. These times might be many things, but they're not boring. And yet today, I am less concerned with what's going on in the wider world. Today, I'm focused with what's going on with you in your life, particularly in your life with God. One element of these crazy times in which we live is that we have so little time to ourselves. Quiet. Silence. Reflection. These things are rarer than at any time in the recent past. When we have a moment to ourselves, we usually obsessively check our phones or our email. There's that persistent voice in our heads. Is there something that needs our attention or someone asking for it? Our inboxes are flooded with requests for money or advertisements for new products. Drained at the end of the day, we're lucky to settle into some Netflix or some other streaming service that is a dizzying array of quality TV shows to distract us. You know what I mean? 
I heard on the radio the other day that parents today spend, on average, 50% more time with their children than they did just 20 years ago. Gone are the days when kids would go off and entertain themselves. Now there are things like quality time and scheduled activities, even more things that keep us busy. 30 years ago, there was a fraction of the number of nonprofits that exist today. And yet each nonprofit, each organization that you care about, wants some of your valuable time. When was the last time, not on vacation, when you looked around and realized that you had absolutely nothing to do? Nothing to get done around the house or in your life. I'm serious, how often does that happen? And yet, in spite of all the great advances of society that we have, we still face the same pressures and realities and questions that we always have. Some questions are eternal to the human condition. What are we doing here? What's the purpose of it all? How should we be living our best life? Is there something that we're missing? These questions are there. It's just harder to find time to actually explore them. It's no surprise that rates of suicide, depression, addiction, and chronic stress are all on the rise. Maybe you know, maybe you know some of these firsthand. We live, well, in interesting times. And then there is something, something deep within you that calls you to be here, to come to church. To take some of your precious time to find a bit of peace, of reflection, of time communing with God. I hope these Sunday mornings are a spiritual oasis for you amidst all the busyness. But I would bet that that same something within you, that nudge that brought you here in the first place, still longs for more from this place. If you're anything like me, you wish you had more time to read the Bible or some other book on spirituality or theology that sits collecting dust on your end table. What about more time for prayer and, fl- and reflection? But each chance you get, something else always gets in the way. Yes, you'd like to learn more, but how do you carve out time? What if something existed that got you to commit to reading more, to spending more time exploring spiritual questions? Would you try it? What if there was some way that you could actually feed that part of your soul that, when you're honest with yourself, lying in bed late at night, you know needs more feeding. There's that one theological question that keeps nagging at you, but you've never bothered to explore. You always mean to learn more about your Bible or to read more of it. You know there are insights there that could help you, but how are you supposed to make it happen? What about having a space where you can, in a small setting, ask those questions or share those experiences in ways that seem so hard to today? You struggle with your faith. It's not the same faith that it had been years ago. And how do you talk about that, though? Where do you talk about it? You come to church, and all too often you feel like a fraud. Is there a place that you can go and talk about that honestly? Where you know other people will listen and sympathize? What about a place where you can talk about your life as a parent? The struggles and joys of it? Talking with your friends is fine, that's always helpful, but what about talking about it from a faith perspective? What does it look like, honestly look like, to be a progressive Christian 
and try and live that out in the home as a parent with a family? Is there some devotional practice that might help you? Maybe the person sitting right next to you in the pews has been doing something for years that would be just the right thing to help you out. How can you learn about it? Or perhaps you're going through a particularly trying time. Maybe you're in between jobs or unhappy in your current job. Maybe things in your marriage or relationships are not as rosy as you make them seem to be. Maybe the loneliness of your life has, this year, been just a bit more than you can handle. Where can you talk about all that? It's hard to talk about those things with friends. You don't want to seem to be complaining or nagging. But what if there was a place where you could share and you could get the support that you need? If only there existed, if only something existed that could answer all of these deep needs. Think of how it might be able to change your life. Sometimes Sunday service is just not enough. You want something more. When I started working in Iowa, I was confronted with the prospect of trying to grow a church there. This is, of course, a near universal experience for all Christian churches, and particularly those of us who are in churches in the old main line. Faced with this challenge, I decided to confront it the way I normally do. I decided to buy some books. Well, I decided to buy literally every book on church growth that I could find, and there are lots of them. Whenever I could squeeze some time in, I would pick out one of those books and browse through it. And I would pick up various tips and hints, and some, some obvious themes emerged. A church that wants to grow has to be open to new things. It's hard to overemphasize how reluctant to change most churches can be. I know that's a surprise to all of you here. <laughs> Even the smallest change can spark controversy. Try changing a lot of things, and you will have a full-on revolt on your hands, regardless of whether those changes make perfect sense. The very nature of change in churches unnerves people. It's that scary C word, change. So yeah, churches that, that grow have to be willing to change and try new things. And also not skewer their leaders in the process. <laughs> Other obvious things came up as well in my reading. Worship needs to be engaging and energetic. The church that grows needs to be a larger presence in the local community. You also need to begin to see the church through the eyes of visitors. This is particularly difficult for church members who've been in a church for a very long time. The attitude tends to be, that thing, that way of doing things, well, it doesn't bother me. Well, of course it doesn't bother you. It hasn't bothered you enough to change it all these years, but maybe it bothers that visitor who's coming for the first time. Again, none of these basic recommendations particularly surprised me, but there was something else that kept coming up in these books. Each book, one after another, would talk about having small groups. Small groups. Small groups were the key to the expansion and health of this church or that church or that church. Again and again, across the theological spectrum, this kept coming up. It wasn't about theology. It was about these small groups. What on earth, I thought to myself, was a small group? What is this thing that seems to be the answer to having a thriving, growing church? I did some more reading. Apparently, a small group or a covenant group, is a group of 6 to 12 people who meet every week or every other week for study, prayer, reflection, and fellowship. Simple enough. What's so special about that, I thought? Small groups, according to these resources, are confidential. Everything that's shared in a small group only stays within that group. 
This allows for people to share what's really on their hearts without any concern that it might become the gossip of the church the next week. Confidentiality. I can see how that's essential. These small groups are also bound by a covenant, almost always a written covenant. The covenant includes confidentiality as well as respect and listening. But it also includes, here's the key thing here, a commitment to show up. Whoa, I thought to myself, time out. People actually committing to show up? Isn't that like the anti-21st century tendency? (laughs) Do people ever commit to anything anymore? But these resources were explicit. Even though not everyone can make every meeting, people have to make the meetings a priority. They have to mark them on the calendar in advance. Close interpersonal bonds can only form when people commit to being there. It is a mutual agreement. It helps everyone there. It is a sine qua non. It has to happen for these groups to be successful. A covenant of confidentiality and commitment. Hmm, I was skeptical. I kept reading. What exactly do these groups do, after all? How do the meetings run? Apparently, the, su- the suggestions were to meet in people's homes whenever possible. But meeting at a church could work as well. Okay. They begin by sh- by- with sharing and a check-in around the circle. People are invited to share what's on their minds. These check-ins last longer at the beginning when the group is just getting to know one another. Then the group has a discussion. It can be on a book, the Bible, sharing spiritual journeys, discussing a topic. It doesn't really matter what the subject is, provided that it helps the participants explore something important in their lives in a spiritual context. The most effective small groups then end with prayer for one another or some commitment to reach out and check in and be a support. Groups will often have some type of service project together to show their Christian commitments. Some groups meet over dinner and share a meal as part of their meeting. While groups can last for months or years, the most effective groups always have opportunities for new people to join and for some people to drop out. They have to be flexible. Several resources even suggest leaving an open chair at every meeting to symbolize the fact that the group needs to be open to adding new people. When I finished reading all this stuff about small groups, I wasn't really sure what to think. I grew up in the UCC and had never been in a church that actually had a vibrant small group ministry. You see, the UCC has not, has not been on the forefront of new church concepts for at least 100 years. <laughs> on the forefront of theology, yes. Social justice, yes. New ways of living the church, I thought the pilgrims had it all figured out. <laughs> that word new sounds an awful lot like the C word. You know, that word change. Change is hard, very hard. Every book that I read talked about the fact that there would be resistance of all types to introducing small groups, from the difficulty of finding leaders and trying to organize the groups to people finding one reason or another to say why they won't work. Every book, every resource, every single one emphasized that it was the single most important thing for a church to do if they cared about thriving in the 21st century. Small groups answer the deep spiritual needs of our time now. Hmm. I put down my books on... All these books on church. After all, my life is busy. Church's life is busy. I tried to focus on other things. Small groups I thought could wait. I didn't even know what they were because I hadn't experienced one. Then the Iowa conference, remember I was in Ames at the time, the Iowa conference decided to put all of us clergy into small groups. When I heard the news, I thought to myself, what a waste of my time. Don't they know how busy I am? But I sucked it up and did it, even though it meant driving 50 minutes each way down to my meeting. I mean, everything is worth trying once, right? These clergy small groups met once per month. In hindsight, I wish they met more often. We would gather together, and I I soon discovered that this was the one place where I could actually share what was going on in my life, and the people there got it. 
They got it. These other clergy, they understood. It was like a revelation. Sure, I could talk about my life with my roommate and my best friends, but this was different. I could talk about how work and my spiritual life intersected. This particular group then looked at the Bible for each session. If there's one thing about the Bible that I have to say, is that when you actually let the, the text speak, speak to your life and the life experience of others in a group, it's amazing what type of insights begin to emerge. Each text seemed to be speaking right to me, right to all of us. I left those meetings feeling more supported, more spiritually grounded than I did at any other time while living in Iowa. It was transformative. I only wish we could have met more often because I needed it. I thought if only more people could have groups like this. In the Gospel of Mark, the evangelist puts at the center of his gospel the story of the transfiguration, our text for today. In the chapter before, Jesus had revealed himself as the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah at Caesarea Caesarea Philippi. But it's almost as though that that's not enough. The verbal confession doesn't seem to sink in. They don't get it. They need something more. They need to experience Jesus as the Christ. So Jesus invites his three closest disciples to follow him up a nearby mountain. The disciples follow him up there. And there, there they see Jesus in a whole new light. He becomes transformed before them. They suddenly realize, they suddenly experience, they suddenly feel on a very deep level who Jesus is. It was, a rele- it was a revelatory experience in a small group setting. They meet Elijah and Moses as well through Jesus. Their lives are forever changed by this revelation, this encounter. And I ask myself, why was it reserved for just these three? Why didn't Jesus reveal himself for the whole world to see? And then I thought and realized maybe, just maybe, that's not where it happens. Maybe you need to be in that small group setting in order to meet Jesus in that profound way. When I was searching for a text to talk about small groups, I kept coming back to this one, this passage of the Transfiguration. Nothing else seems so clearly to lay out the purpose of a small group ministry. When you meet with others, when you create space for real, authentic sharing, when you hold yourself accountable to spiritual growth and learning, you have the opportunity to be transformed. In those meetings, in those discussions, in that authentic sharing of self, the Holy Spirit can appear and transform you and your relationship with God. It's a truly miraculous happening because there you meet Jesus, the real Jesus, the living Jesus, the Jesus who actually shows up in your life, who allows you to take his easy yoke upon you and learn from him. When small groups succeed, they become sources of tremendous grace. Here at FCC, we face all sorts of challenges and opportunities for the future. I am extremely excited about the prospect for our capital campaign. If you haven't heard from us yet, you will soon. (laughs) And what it can do for our beautiful campus and our thriving ministry. I'm also excited by the revisions of our website. Thank you, MJ and Robbie. And for the outreach that the communications board is doing. Thank you, Sydney and Brett and others. The missions board the CIS board, the CE board, are all making big changes to the way we do things to be a more thriving community. I could go on and name every one of you. One of these days, I will just go on those tangents because I'm excited. But there's one thing, one change, one single element that's more important than any other. We have to ensure that we as a church continue to build the bonds that make us a true community, a true fellowship of believers. We need to be transformative, supportive, inquisitive, 
There are many ways to do this, but no way would be more effective than actually having a small group ministry that the majority of you are engaged in. Look to your left and to your right. Imagine developing deep, authentic relationships with the others in the pews around you. I'm not talking about casual and friendly hellos. I mean the type of relationships that endure, where you can call someone up at any time and share what's going on in your life. Imagine being able to hold yourself accountable for real spiritual growth and learning. We all want to be better people, more thoughtful and reflective people. That can happen in small groups. All we need to have is to be open to trying something new. After church today, Nate Jones and I will be taking down the names of whoever wants to try this experiment. We already have several small groups going. We have tried to introduce small groups and fits and starts, but we want to make this a truly church-wide effort. The goal is to have small groups start meeting on September 9th or thereabouts, and they continue to meet through Thanksgiving. Then we will take a hiatus where we'll have more traditional CE offerings, Christian education offerings, in December and January. Then in February, we'll have another round of small groups for Lent and Easter. Try it out. Take the plunge. Small groups could very well be the change that is needed in your life. The 21st century is a new time for us all. And it's a new time for churches as well. If we want to be disciples in this changing time, if we want to have true support and find where God is still speaking in our lives, this is what we need to do. I cannot be more energized about what will happen in the months and years ahead. You ready for the journey? You ready to meet Jesus on that mountain? Are you ready to experience a transfiguration? If so, I'll see you after service in the assembly room. In your new small group, you might just find that spiritual 